planning and succession planning. Firms elect to participate but do not pay to be included in the ranking. Investor experience and returns are not considered. At the intersection of life and money, this is Everyday Wealth with award-winning journalist Soledad O'Brien and personal finance expert Gene Chatsky. Presented by Edelman Financial Engines, ranked by Barron's as the number one investment advisor in the country. Now, here's Gene Chatsky and Soledad O'Brien. Hi, everyone. I'm Jean Chatsky. And I'm Soledad O'Brien. You are listening to Everyday Wealth. We've got a great show this week. We're going to be talking about elder care fraud with a special agent from the FBI. Uh, and then later in the show, we'll dive into my favorite phrase, really Jean's favorite phrase that I'm taking over, personal economies and tackling the tax-efficient withdrawal strategies. We've got lots of great advice on that. If you have a question or a topic that you'd like to see us cover on a future show, be sure to visit everydaywealth.com and submit your question. But first, let's dive into what happened this week. It was a, a pretty big week in financial news, particularly when it came to inflation. We got a very big inflation number, 7.5%, which is the highest that we have seen actually in 40 years. But I think what was confusing to many people was that the same time we were seeing that headline, we started to see headlines that said, Inflation is actually fading. And a number of economists are pointing to the fact that when you look at the numbers, not year to year, but month to month, we are seeing the numbers start to trend down. That is a really good sign, but it's not hitting people fast enough, particularly heating oil up 24%. And that like food, like gas prices, like car prices, uh, it's, are causing a lot of people a lot of pain. Home heating prices is a really big topic with people talking about paying $900 a month because of the, the heating oil prices are so high. Right now, everybody seems to be talking about these two new shows on Netflix, Inventing Anna and The Tinder Swindler. And I bring them up because you watch them and you wonder, how could anyone ever fall for this? How could anyone ever go down this road and not doubt that this was a scam, that this was a fake? And yet about 20% of the adults in this country, 65 and over, will be victims of some sort of financial exploitation, what we what we call elder fraud in this country. And those shows, right, you see perfectly reasonable people fall for things that seem unbelievable. Like, why would you possibly hand over large chunks of money to somebody you just met? And yet, and I'll tell you from personal experience, my dad, when he was 80, he was scammed. It, it was so upsetting. So I'm really excited that we're going to have a conversation with FBI Special Agent Wayne Jacobs. He's been working as a special agent for almost 20 years. I worked in government and financial fraud and violent crime gangs. So thank you for joining us, Special Agent. It's very nice to talk to you. Yes, thank you for having me. I appreciate the opportunity to, to chat. When we talk about elder fraud, Special Agent Jacobs, what are we talking about specifically? What falls into that category? Yeah, so we're, we're talking about uh, fraud schemes which uh, target the elderly. And, and for the FBI's purposes, we define uh, folks in that group to be 60 years of older. And uh, you know, the fraud schemes themselves can, 
can range anywhere from romance fraud to uh, what we call technical support fraud to uh, investment scheme frauds. So why is elder fraud such a priority for the FBI right now? And why are the elderly targets? I should start by saying that combating significant white-collar crime is a standing priority for the FBI and the Department of Justice. Um, elder fraud in particular is, is a space where we see a significant amount of, of growth, unfortunately. Um, last numbers that we have from 2020 show that just over a billion uh, losses were incurred by the elderly, and that represents a 30% increase um, from 2019 numbers. Uh, in terms of why the elderly are targeted, um, you know, fraudsters obviously go where, where the money is. Um, uh, the elderly often have significant resources. Uh, but beyond that, um, you know, as I think all of us can appreciate, the elderly are often um, the most vulnerable members of our society. They're at times lonely. Uh, they can be a little bit more trusting and not have the technical understanding or expertise, um, which makes them susceptible to people who are representing their schemes in really confident and, and complex ways. So break it down for us. I, I always love when I get an email from the FBI that lays out the top 10 frauds happening right now. When we're talking about the elderly, what kind of scams do we need to be on the lookout for? From what we see, you know, the, the romance confidence fraud uh, schemes continue to be a significant problem, a growing problem, right? So these are folks who are preying on individuals who are on dating sites or social media platforms, building that trust, building relationships, uh, taking advantage um, of those relationships. I think the one behind that would be the, the technical support, right? Again, preying on the lack of technical expertise or, or comfort with technology. These are folks, again, who are calling, speaking with confidence. Hey, there's a virus on your computer. This is what you need to do to remediate. Uh, and I just need access to your computer, right? Which, which then creates a number of problems. And then investment fraud. Uh, you know, certainly, you know, uh, sort of tried and true uh, method for fraudsters to, to try and leverage, but I, I think the, the new wrinkle here is um, you know, the growth of Bitcoin, right? Uh, Bitcoin enables a lot of these transactions to happen uh, with lightning speed. You know, uh, folks can remember writing checks and the time that it would take for money to move. You know, we're now seeing funds disappear in, in literally minutes. One I saw show up on your list that was new to me was called a money mule. What's a money mule and how are older people being used in that way? So money mules are, are, are basically, um, there's two components. So one is a sort of a, uh, a witting or unwitting where um, folks are being asked to send money uh, to third parties on the behalf of a fraudster. So effectively operating uh, a bit of a money laundering scheme. Uh, and then the other is sending money directly from the victim themselves to other parties. Uh, just, a, a, again, another way for folks to, uh, to masquerade their uh, illicit gains through the movement of money to other individuals, again, using the victim as, as, um, as a vehicle to do that. You know, the, the romance frauds make headlines so often. And I think they're the ones that make me the saddest, right? Because you've got people who are clearly lonely, right? They're looking to make any sort of connection. Maybe they've lost their spouse, maybe they've gotten divorced, but they are just ripe 
for somebody who wants to connect with them and that and yet you would think they would think twice before writing a big check well there was a story of an elderly woman she was scammed out of like $160,000 by a guy she met, fell in love with over Facebook after her husband died. She never met the guy in person, but he said at some point he needed money for medical expenses. And so she sent him $163,000. Special Agent Jacobs, how how unusual is a story like that? Uh, unfortunately, it's, it's uh, not unusual uh, at all. Um, you have people... These fraudsters who are very good at, at what they do and manipulating and deceiving folks uh, into sending money. The advice that I would give is really to do their due diligence. Uh, you know, folks who are listening to your podcast, they've been able to accumulate some wealth uh, and they got there by being deliberative about their decisions. The, the opportunities for folks to, to move money very quickly uh, in this arena you know, really accelerates uh, some of these fraud schemes. So just take your time, think things through, talk to family members, um, you know, would be some of the advice that I would give. I think the word is fraudsters. They, they mimic things that happen in real life. Like how many times have you had computer issues and someone says, well, here, let me hop in and take over your computer and try to fix it. So there's a certain piece of it that sounds reasonable. Seniors are especially vulnerable. Obviously, you mentioned one thing, the ease of which we can now send money. But why else do you think seniors are particularly vulnerable? Seniors, um, they're often more trusting. They don't necessarily at times have the most technical knowledge or expertise. And the pandemic has taken its toll on all of us. Uh, seniors in particular, the isolating effects, uh, and that makes them more open and trusting and looking for ways to to make those relationships, to establish those connections. And um, these fraudsters are, are there to, to sort of prey on that. Makes sense. Special Agent Jacobs, we got to take a short break, but we're going to continue our conversation with you on the other side. We're back in just a moment. Join us Tuesday, March 1st for a brand new virtual event. Three strategies to help preserve and protect your wealth. Discover steps you can take today to help secure a better tomorrow. How a donor-advised fund can help you give to charity in a tax-efficient way and more. So join us for this special virtual event. Register for free at planefe.com. Welcome back to Everyday Wealth with Soledad O'Brien and Gene Chatsky. Welcome back, everybody. Soledad O'Brien, along with Gene Chatsky. You're listening to Everyday Wealth. We're joined by special agent uh, from the FBI, Wayne Jacobs. When this happened to my, my dad, it was so upsetting, and I really did not know what to do. And so I thought maybe we could focus a little bit on solutions. The scam they did to my dad. Now, my dad was a really smart dude, um, PhD, scientist. Uh, and so he said to me one day, I think I'm being tricked. And I said, well, what happened? He said, well, I got a call that said if I wanted to get my tax refund, I needed to send uh, an iTunes card for $400 to somebody. And then they called back and said, oh, sorry, we calculated that wrong. We actually need another $400. At that point, he said, I think maybe I'm being tricked. And it just broke my heart. Yes. Unfortunately, these, these fraudsters are, are very good at what they do. They're able to 
adapt and improvise uh, their schemes to, to relevant things that are going on in today's society, which make them even more convincing when they're engaging in these conversations. Soledad, I know your dad and how he was a victim. And I think what we all want is for the older people in our lives to pick up the phone and call one of us and say, this is happening to me and ask the questions and start to recognize when something just smells fishy. So what are the things that you think people need to put into place for themselves or for their loved ones to, to, to protect ourselves against, you know, this abuse, it's abuse of people, frankly. Yeah. So the, the first thing I would say, if, if anyone believes that they're a victim, certainly report it. Um, you know, you can, uh, either call the FBI, 1-800-CALL-FBI, or go to ic3.gov uh, and, and report uh, the activity. Um, in terms of uh, what folks can do uh, for themselves, exercising due diligence, a lot of times these folks are, are using uh, telephone numbers or names that uh, are used over and over again. So the simple act of putting a telephone number into Google can return a result that says, hey, fraud scheme, sort of buyer beware. Um, beyond that, uh, you know, be really sort of careful uh, about releasing any personal information over the phone or giving anyone access to, to your computer. What oftentimes happens is these folks are, are, are leveraging, um, you know, everyday stories from society, speaking with authority, demanding, you know, these payments and being really persistent about it before you, you make any decision. Uh, certainly have the conversation with a loved one, uh, um, a family friend, and and just make sure that what you're about to do is, is, is really something that is that is on the up and up. I think it's important for people to know, Special Agent Jacobs, that the IRS is never going to call you, right? The IRS, if they need to get in touch with you, they are going to send you a very official-looking letter, right? If you get a call where anybody is asking you for money, you know, that in and of itself is is a warning sign. I would say, again, verify who the person is that's calling. If someone is representing themselves as being a part of a, a special interest group, you should be able to go online, find a legitimate number, call that number, and verify who that person is before making any decision about sending money to anyone. Yeah, that's very good information. And I think it goes for any call that you get, right? You get a call from somebody purporting to be from your credit card company. You hang up the phone, you take out your credit card, and you call the toll-free number that is on the back of that credit card just to make sure that it's legit. So what is the FBI doing to stop these scams before they even start, as opposed to just responding when you start seeing that people are being scammed? Part of it is what we're doing today, right, which is trying to educate folks uh, about these fraud schemes. So whether it's a platform like this or um, leveraging our, our private sector and public sector partners uh, in, in spreading the word about these fraud schemes, please beware uh, and, and report um, you know, when you, know, you observe these things in, in, in progress. Great advice. Uh, thank you, Special Agent Jacobs. We truly appreciate your time today. Thanks so much. Thank you. I appreciate it. Every week we are joined by experts from Edelman Financial Engines. Today, Jason Cowens, who has been with us before, is back on the show. Jason, nice to talk to you. Good morning. 
So, Jason, there was a story in the news recently about a caregiver for a couple in California who was sent to prison after stealing well over a quarter million dollars. And she was the person brought into this house to, you know, take care of people who could not take care of themselves. How often do we see this? And and what do we do in this sort of a scenario? In my practice, I haven't seen a lot of that trusted contact being the scammer. But what I try to do is when I'm doing annual reviews, really ask about recent outflows from their investments. Because I think you can pick up a lot of that, that if they have a normal spending pattern, and then all of a sudden it's like, hey, I need 10000 or $20,000 out of the nowhere. It's like, it's my job to ask, well, what's that for? They've hired me to butt into their business. Trying to pick that up in conversations is how I think we can prevent a lot of these issues before they get out of hand. I think it's really why uh, it's important for wealth planners to loop in the entire family. You know, my parents were very private. They didn't really want to talk about money with their kids. It really was only until he sort of figured it out that he, he looped us in. Uh, how do you have those conversations with your your clients? Because I'm sure when it comes to dealing with their adult children, they want a, you know, a little bit of a wall between their personal finances and what their kids know about them. Well, I, I try and empower every client to go, anything that has a dollar sign, I want you to call me about. I'm creating a lifetime relationship, which means getting to know kids, grandkids, sometimes siblings is a priority. And so I'd rather be having these conversations with their kids in good times going, hi, I'm Jason. I'm working with your parents. That way, if I do get a sense that there's some moving pieces going on that are new, I'm allowed to talk to the kids or have the family conversation going, hey, your parents just told me this. This is new. Are you aware of this? Because ultimately, I know part of it is if we're doing a good job, there's going to be a fair amount of wealth left over for the kids. I wanted to go to them the way the parents wanted to go to them. And Soledad, your parents, that was typical of their generation. They did not talk about money. That was frowned upon. Jason, what else does having a relationship with a financial advisor do when it comes to protecting yourself from this sort of fraud? Well, so I I have one unique case that a client, a widower, had two kids, his son passed away. And then all of a sudden, I just started hearing the story about this new love interest, right? And she was a caregiver, right? She was a friend. And then one day we're sitting down. He says, I've decided to change all of my beneficiaries. So immediately, red flag. Right. So I start to say, well, let's talk this through. Tell me what's going on, because I know your daughter. Right. I know your brother. Have you talked to them about this? Because I had this trusted contact form that says when I see these red flags, the client is allowing me to have these conversations. Right? What and is I that? Knew, what is that trusted oh, contact form? The trusted contact form is really a form that the client is saying, if I'm doing something that you have concerns with, I'm authorizing you to call these trusted contacts on my behalf. Now, the trusted contact can't call me and make changes to the portfolio, but I can call out to them. This is so smart because if I could have been added to my dad, you know, just the person you're running things by who cares about their loved one and just wants to know when they see something crazy happening, right? And, it, and listen, I'm a big believer in everybody's money is their own money. And I, I, I think that would have saved us a lot of um, agita in dealing with my parents' finances and trying to kind of fight our way in at that point. 
versus if we had just said like, hey, just add us to the forum, do whatever you want with your money, but we're just here to back you up. I, I wish that had been something that I had known about and that was available to us when my parents were still alive. I'm, I'm wondering, can I just jump in here, Soledad? Does this have to be the same person that has your power of attorney? Does this need to be the same person who's your executor? Like, is there anything legal about this? It can be whomever you choose, right? It can, you can say, I trust my neighbor because they're the closest to me. My kids and my brother are all on the East Coast, right? So it, it is not anything that has to match your power of attorney, your executive director. What it does is it puts on record a formal information, whether it's cell phone, mailing address, email address, with this person who the client is authorizing us to talk to whenever we see there's some red flags going on. So, Jason, I hear you have a webinar coming up. Yeah, our next webinar is coming up on March 1st at 3 p.m. and 8 p.m. Eastern. That's going to be going over the three strategies to help preserve and protect your wealth. You can register for free at planEFE.com. We have to pause there for just a moment, but we'll be back with more on tax-efficient withdrawal strategies. Stay with us. Join us Tuesday, March 1st for a brand-new virtual event, Three Strategies to Help Preserve and Protect Your Wealth. Discover steps you can take today to help secure a better tomorrow, like which retirement accounts to take withdrawals from, how a donor-advised fund can help you give to charity in a tax-efficient way. Carpet Liquidators makes floor shopping as simple as one, two, three. Number one, go to CarpetLiquidators.com and choose the type of flooring you're looking for. Number two, schedule a shop at home time that works for you. Our flooring experts will bring your samples directly to your doorstep. Number three, we'll take measurements and provide you with a quote. And best of all, it won't cost one penny more than coming to the store. Visit CarpetLiquidators.com. It's quick, easy, and the visit is free. Again, Jason, thanks for continuing this conversation with us. Thanks for having me. So, Jason, for the past half hour, we've been talking about elder fraud, and we want to switch gears now. We want to talk about our own personal economy and a topic that I think confuses a lot of people. How do you protect your wealth through tax-efficient withdrawal strategies when we're in retirement? We want to make sure that we pay as little as possible in taxes so that as much of the money actually flows to our own bottom lines as possible, that's really complicated. Oh, absolutely. And this is really, this is the fun about retirement planning. Right? Now, <laughs> you clients have worked a lifetime to build this wealth. Now it's time to enjoy it. But along the way, the job is how do we minimize the taxes or how do we leave generational wealth that may minimize their taxes as well. I was surprised to see, Jason, that a large number, three-fourths of retirees between the ages of 62 and 75, actually saw their assets grow or, or stay the same during their retirement, where I would have guessed that, in fact, in those very years, they would be you know, digging in, digging in, digging in. The reality is most retirees who spent a lifetime saving, they can't convince themselves to spend money. Right. So there's the behavior to it. So, yes, the markets have done well, but there's also a psychological element, the learning curve to taking money out of your account. It's very, very difficult. Wealth is great, but being able to feel like you're not going to run out of money, I think that's the part that people still, whether it's the last two years, the last five years, people are still struggling with that. And 
COVID has made their travel expenses go down. So now they have even more wealth that it's going to be even harder to convince them when the world opens up, it's time to open up the checkbook. I think these withdrawal strategies can be really complicated. We talked about the 4% withdrawal strategy on a previous episode where you can sort of pull from a toolbox to figure out how to do this. Can you walk us through how you choose one that works for you? Well, I'd say we're a big fan of really looking at the need-based amount and building a plan around there. Because really, I use the 4%. What I hate about those simple, easy numbers is it doesn't work for a lot of people. Imagine you have a million-dollar portfolio, and you say, I'm going to try to plan to spend $40,000, which really represents the 4% rule, right? Over the last six weeks, maybe your portfolio was down 3 4 maybe 5%. So now if you have $950,000, you now say, I'm going to try and only spend 4% of that number. You're setting yourself up for failure. What you need to do is look at your expenses. That's food, internet, cell phone. You need to look at your mortgage, the principal and interest, right? Principal and interest goes away at some point. So you're not always going to have that line item. And then the key is the fun stuff, whether that's family, travel, homes, um, charitable donations. Let's build a plan around your needs and then ultimately figure out which of the pots of money, brokerage accounts, your IRAs, and your Roths, which amounts do we take out of each account relative to your own tax basis. Can I just stop you there? Because you, you ran through those buckets very quickly, but they are different from a tax perspective, right? When we, when we're talking about your brokerage account, those are your taxable accounts, right? You pull money out of these. They're generally not taxed as income, but they may require you to pay capital gains taxes. We've got then Roth accounts, and we've got your other regular retirement accounts, your traditional IRAs and 401ks. What's the tax treatment there? Well, so that's the the distinction. The IRA is the pre-tax. Those dollars, every dollar that comes out of your your IRAs, old 401ks, 403bs, those are all ordinary income. And I look at the ordinary income tax bracket typically is the highest for clients. So really understanding as as we're taking money out of those tax-deferred accounts, what is going to be the net effect on your taxes, right? And so when I'm talking to clients, we really want to figure out on how do we fill up the low parts of your tax bracket? Because really, the, the beauty about our tax system is it's a progressive marginal tax bracket, right? So if you look at a married couple versus a single person, a married couple has up to about $83,000 of ordinary income, that's only going to be taxed at about 12%, while a single person has about $41,000. So effectively, if you have somebody who's now a high earner, you know, taking out $80,000 in IRA dollars may be cheaper than their current tax rate. I try and use the example on when someone retires at 65, we're now in a seven-year waiting game until Uncle Sam is going to force you, whether you need it or not, to start taking money out of your tax-deferred IRA accounts via the required minimum distribution. One of the things that happens, like people default to this 4% rule, is that we sometimes default 
to rules of thumb in these scenarios. For example, we we have decided that when we withdraw, we th- we should withdraw proportionately across all our accounts, our, our tax deferred, our tax advantage, and our taxable, or that we should withdraw from the taxable accounts first so that the money in our tax deferred accounts can grow longer. What I'm hearing you saying is no. Those rules of thumb are not right for everybody. This is when you actually need somebody to look at your own personal situation and figure out a strategy for you. Is that right? Oh, absolutely. Right. I mean, we'll we'll use the example like the person is turning 65 today. They're not eligible for their full Social Security amount till 66 and six months. Right. So we have this 18-month gap, potentially, if they don't have any pensions, of filling that gap until we tell them to possibly turn on Social Security. And so part of it may be they may be running a higher withdrawal rate until Social Security starts, and it may be 6 7 8%, whatever. But as soon as the Social Security kicks in, it may back down their total withdrawal to 3%. So that's why I don't like the rule of thumb, because you have so many people who think 4% is what I need to live off of. Tell me what you need to live off of, and we'll figure out if the withdrawal rate works for your situation, because quite frankly, I want you to dream big. So if you want to talk to one of us here at Element Financial Engines, give us a call at 833-PLAN-EFE or visit planefe.com. Do you find that your clients accurately track their expenses? Uh, I always think that tracking expenses is sort of like counting calories. You know, it's... You're not very good at it. We always kind of make up a number that makes us feel good. I try to use their take-home, right? Their take-home is a good indicator of what they're spending. So after health insurance, after 401k countries, what's coming into your checking account? If you're spending all of that on your checking account, ta-da, that's your expenses, right? So I try and go, let's look at what your real spending is. Then my job is to figure out in retirement, what are the things that you haven't started spending on. Let's imagine today is your retirement. How are we going to fill that time and what's it going to cost you? The webinar that you mentioned in our last segment, Jason, I I imagine it's going to address these specific kind of questions. That's correct. You can go to planefe.com and it's three strategies to help preserve and protect your wealth. It's on March 1st at 3 p.m. and 8 p.m. Eastern. That's great. We're going to take a short break. We'll be right back. You're working hard to build wealth for the future. But along the way, you'll need help to protect it from risk and make sure it can last through retirement. Join us Tuesday, March 1st for a brand new free virtual event. Three strategies to help preserve and protect your wealth. Discover steps you can take today to help secure a better tomorrow. You'll learn what to do if you own too much of one stock how to choose which retirement accounts to take withdrawals from, and more. Register now for free at planefe.com. Welcome back to Everyday Wealth with Soledad O'Brien and Gene Chatsky. Gene Chatsky. I am here with Soledad O'Brien and Edelman Financial Engines wealth planner, Jason Cowens. Thanks for being here, Jason. My pleasure. 
Right before the break, we were talking about tax-efficient withdrawal strategies and conventional wisdom, but I guess it's not always the way to go. How do you help your clients through this process? Can you give us some examples? Well, yeah. So the, the interesting is, is clients want to make sure they're receiving their money so they can live comfortably. The back end is trying to figure out how do we minimize taxes along the way. And an interesting idea is, and I think this is happening more and more often. So imagine a scenario where, um, for example, the husband is now on Medicare and the wife is, let's say, 63. So now we have to bridge this gap for the next two years for the wife to then be eligible for Medicare. So really, we're navigating the space of the Affordable Care Act or private health insurance, right? So going back to the withdrawal strategy, we now have to look at what's the impact that a withdrawal will have on the premiums of the Affordable Care Act. Right. right. And because if you withdraw too much money, if you have too much income, those premiums are going to go sky high. I mean, right now we've got some really nice premiums for people whose incomes are more moderate. Exactly. And the way it works is if you don't tell um, healthcare.gov that your income is going up, when they see your taxes and they say, oh, you made more money than you told us, guess what? You need to write a check to pay back the tax credits we gave you. So really, the idea is having the conversation early. Let's understand what the withdrawal rules are relative to your tax bracket versus Medicare versus the Affordable Care Act to figure out how do we toggle that switch to keep income, quote unquote, income low, but still let you afford your lifestyle. Let me throw one more wrinkle in there for you. Required minimum distributions. Right. We, we know that you've got to take them um, and that if you don't pull money out of your tax deferred accounts, which many people try not to do, that leaves a higher balance in those accounts at age 72. And that means you've got RMDs that are higher. So how do you how do you navigate that? When somebody retires, I have to say. At some point, you're going to be forced to take out money, regardless of you need it or not. Going back to that million-dollar client, you know, if they had to start taking their RMDs out today, effectively that million-dollar account in their IRA really means they have to take out about $38,000. So the example is if you need $38,000 to live off of, the RMD fits the need, right? But what usually ends up happening is imagine using that $38,000 required minimum distribution, if they only need 30 of it, that eight represents an excessive RMD amount that becomes taxable. The conversation becomes, what can you do with that $8,000? You could donate it directly to a charity. And the beauty about doing that qualified charitable donation is you get the credit for the RMD, but you pay no income taxes, right? Whenever we're talking about tax-efficient strategies, we always have to really look at the thresholds of Medicare as well, right? The unique thing about Medicare is the more money you make, the higher the Part B and Part D premiums go, right? And really, if you're a married couple and your income is less than $182,000, you're paying the typical rate on Part B, which is about $160 to $170, right? However, as soon as your income starts to drift from one eighty-two to $228,000, your premiums have now gone up about $60 per month for two years. 
as your income goes higher, that part B premium, part D premium keeps going higher. So looking at your future RMDs, we have to have the conversation that we know that RMD may put you in harm's way through no fault of your own, not because of just regular marginal taxes, but because of the Medicare thresholds. What are some things we can do today as opposed to waiting in the future when your hand is forced? It's typically the RMD or capital gains. Those are the things that Medicare is going to penalize you for for a two-year period unless it's some extenuating circumstances as far as death, retirement, disability. So there are some things that you can use, what's called the IRMA form, to get adjustments. But this is one train that we can avoid along the way. So let's have a conversation early to talk about how do we fill up the tax bucket cheaply and efficiently, maybe in these early years for the clients who are worried about leaving wealth to their kids in their IRAs, with the SECURE Act now shrinking it from a lifetime stretch RMD to 10 years, wealthier clients are going to probably leave more money to their kids. Maybe the conversation is talking about a Roth conversion, right? Everyone's situation is unique. So if you want to talk to one of us here at Edelman Financial Engines, give us a call at 833-PLAN-EFE or visit planefe.com. Jason, as Social Security is a big issue here, I imagine you deal with that a lot. Social Security is a sliding scale, right? So really, Social Security isn't all taxable. The more income you make, the higher percentage, up to 85%, of your Social Security becomes taxable. Everyone's year-by-year situation changes. So in one calendar year, there may be some unforeseen expense. Does it make good tax efficiency sense to take it out of your brokerage account versus your tax-deferred IRA versus your Roth? And make sure that we're being aware what will be the tax. And it's not bad to pay taxes. Let's pay as little as we can, if not possible. Jason, when should clients who are not close to retiring or not even in their 60s, when do you want to start this conversation? Well, it it starts day one, right? So typically when I'm showing the clients their projections, you'll see their spending, you know, kind of tracking inflation. And then for almost every client at age 72, there's a big jump up with withdrawals. I use that as you see that ticking time bomb right there. We should address this sooner rather than later. There is conventional wisdom, but then there are other approaches to how to do this. I'd just like to sort of lay out an approach that might work for some people, and it starts with postponing Social Security until age 70 to get you to that higher benefit, but also make some space, make some time to make those IRA withdrawals without affecting the taxability of your Social Security. What happens next? What are the steps that you need to follow? Well, the first one, like you said, is is filling up that tax bucket before Social Security starts and really make it smoothly and efficiently. Once the Social Security starts, we then can look at backing down the IRA withdrawals and then look towards that taxable account. Because again, the taxable accounts in theory may have cheaper taxes because they're capital gains, right? And really using that strategy, we allow those Roth dollars, tax-free dollars, to keep growing tax-deferred even longer And year by year, we can have the conversation that as money is needed, we can determine, do we take it out of the IRA? Do we take it out of the taxable account? Do we take it out of the Roth? And that's going to be a year-by-year conversation. And then once the taxable accounts are exhausted, once that money's gone, then we use the money in the Roth in order to supplement whatever's left, right? 
who are still trying to keep taxes at bay. And the IRA is the biggest proponent of where the taxes are going to come via the ordinary income. So if you're trying to figure out if this strategy works for you or if a different strategy works for you, what do we do? Well, the one thing is, you know, always feel free to call us here at Elman Financial Engines, 833-PLAN-EFE. We do have a new webinar coming up on three strategies to help preserve and protect your wealth, Tuesday, March 1st at 3 and 8 p.m. Eastern. And you can register at the website, planefe.com. If you're on the flip side of the equation and you're having trouble saving, you're feeling like you should be saving more, let me just point you to hermoney.com, which is my website where our finance fix courses, which can really shine a light on where your money is going, are in session. You can sign up throughout the year and, uh, and we'll help you get a handle on that. Jason Cowens, always nice to work with you. Thank you. I feel like a lot of these tax strategies conversations are very, very complicated and complex. So we hope everybody enjoyed this conversation as much as we did. Obviously, we'd love to hear from you if you have questions about anything you've heard today or questions about anything regarding, as Jason likes to say, anything with a dollar sign. We're happy to talk about. Be sure to reach out to us at everydaywealth.com. Drop us a line. Uh, tell us what you'd like to know, and we would love to answer your question on the air. And, of course, if you missed last week's show, the podcast is available there as well. A big thank you to Jason Cowens with Edelman Financial Engines for joining us, as well as FBI Special Agent Wayne Jacobs. Have a great week, everybody. We'll see you back here next week. You've worked hard to build wealth. Now help protect it with smart strategies. Get helpful insights and tips you can put into action. Join us March 1st for this virtual event. Three strategies to help preserve and protect your wealth. Register now for free at www.planefe.com. Everyday Wealth with Soledad O'Brien and Gene Chatsky is sponsored by Edelman Financial Engines. Listen in each week to hear fresh and compelling insights and strategies to help you elevate your financial potential. To learn more, visit our website, everydaywealth.com. Find our show wherever you stream your favorite podcast.